Whoa. What a hat, Carrie. That's a hat. I mistakenly put the camera on you right away, and I was supposed to say hello to everyone. But instead, I said, that's a nice hat. There's <laughs> Carrie's you. hat, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. we, You guys, we had tech problems, but not as many as we usually had. So... Let's do. Uh, I'll do the actual sure. intro. Hi, welcome to the, the Kofefi. <laughs> You're watching Unsafe Space. I'm Carter, and this is Carrie, who's drinking coffee and wearing a hat. We, um, my microphone is not working, so I'm using a laptop mic. So I apologize in advance for any sounding like I'm in a tunnel. Uh, but uh, but we're here, and we're glad you're here. <laughs> it's, o- it's okay. Your sound's not that bad. It's fine. Um, ah. Yeah, it's all right. So uh, thank you guys for watching. Just as a reminder, we do live Kofefis on Fridays and Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So you can jump in. And if you want to talk about anything in, in particular, just let us know in chat and we'll do that. Hi to everyone in chat. I recognize almost everyone, I think. There may be some new people. But uh Dr. K is in. Dr. K, you're becoming quite a celebrity, I see. Uh, it, were you on Glenn Beck or something? It sounds like you were on some show. I don't. Is Glenn Beck have a show? I don't. Wasn't he some Fox guy? Glenn Beck, I don't know. I'm I'm out of the loop. I he don't has know. a show. It's called the. I think he has a whole network now. It's called the Blaze. They took over what used to be CRTV. Oh, okay. Um, okay, we're here. Tech problems averted. Uh. Carter asked how I was right when we were about to get started, and I said I'm great, and one of the reasons I'm great, you probably haven't seen this yet, because I just saw it, and I didn't have time to watch all of it, but I watched the relevant part at the beginning. Uh, Round Rabbit uh, from Instagram, who's who's one of the knitters, who's been doing a very good job of pushing back against the wokeness in the knitting world, just released her video talking about it. Have you seen this yet? Oh, no, I saw the other one that you sent me, um, Blue Mouse or something like that. Uh, she did one, but I didn't see Round yeah. Rabbits, no. Blue Mouse Knits uh, came out with a video. If you guys haven't watched it, you should go to Instagram and, and watch her video. I wasn't familiar with her before this, but she has a pretty significant following. And what I liked about her video, it was short, it was sweet, it was heartfelt. You could tell um, that it took her a bit like it took some bravery for her to make it and at the end she offered an apology to Maria of Tuscan Knits and Nathan Sakmatician for remaining silent back when the pylon the big the original pylons were happening to them and I love that apology because I think apologizing is very good for the soul for your soul and for the person you're apologizing to when it's a real apology it's not one of these demanded capitulation kind of virtue signaling apologies that SJWs demand. It was a real heartfelt thing that she came to on her own. And um, if you haven't seen the video yet on YouTube, look for Blue Mouse Knits and go and support her. I saw that uh, so far she's been getting overwhelmingly positive response. I think, again, like we've talked about, the silent majority is not on board with this ideology. They've just been silent out of fear. And so now people are are commending her for speaking up and there are SJWs in there and I've seen threads full of hundreds of SJWs criticizing her and they're, they're sending people into the comments. So there are people in the comments, uh, preaching what they're going to preach, you know, but, um, and her husband has been 
in there responding to some of the comments. And I think I told you this offline, but it's kind of funny because um, he's doing what a supportive spouse should do. Like you can, you can tell that clearly she made her video. She said her piece and she stepped back. Um, and, and it's like, and, and her husband's been in there um, being supportive of her and which is really admirable. And he's getting called a bully for re daring to respond to comments on his wife's video. The fact that you're responding to our comments makes you a bully. Like what? You're on my wife's video. I have a right to respond to you just like anybody does. Like, come on. So anyway, she did a video and then just now, just today, Round Rabbit released one. And I think I, I'm just really, I'm astounded by what I'm witnessing in the knitting world. And the reason we talk about it so much on this podcast <laughs> is because this ideology is everywhere. It's in, it's in, as we talked before, it's in gaming, it's in biology, it's in, you know, any community you can think of. Somebody just in on my wall just said, hey, it's in social dancing. It's in the dancing world that I'm in. Um, it's it's one of the reasons but, I left the venture community in the Bay Area and stopped doing tech stuff because this ideology took over and it was quite horrific. It was difficult to actually do anything. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's infiltrated everywhere. And so, but what's interesting about the knitting community is because it's, I'm not sure why it's happened in knitting, but uh, I think it was because that's that's where you had these first few courageous people with, with a big following like Maria and like Nathan who stood up to it and who, um, and who did so with like kindness and humility. And so it's taking a while, but people are, are getting over their fear. People like Blue Mouse Knits are getting their fear and they're making videos now too in support. And, um, and so what's interesting about it's a microcosm that you can look at and you can see how to battle this ideology. Like you can see what's effective and what's not. So that's why it, and everything's changing so quickly now in terms of people pushing back. And so, and so it's, it's just, I don't know. It's fascinating. It's like, it's like being in the middle of history and, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a broad view of how culture changes or how an ideology takes root or how people, uh, try to fight it. And on a large scale, that's hard to get a grasp on. But if you, if you look at it in one tiny area and see, well, how's it manifesting here and how are people responding to it? Um, it's easier to see like what, what things work and what things don't work. And so it's, it's, this is a, this is an excellent place to watch that unfold. And I think it gives me hope for pushing back against this ideology everywhere else. Put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I haven't watched the round rabbit video, but I did watch the other one. The apology was great and heartfelt. I, I think one thing that happens is there's a community of people who are relatively grounded. I'm not, look, I don't know anything about the knitting community. I'm not in it. So I'm just speaking in general terms. A community of people who are very grounded and um, kind of comfortable with themselves may express a level of tolerance that is that makes an infiltrator think that they're going to be pushovers. And so tolerance goes on and goes on and goes on and they remain silent and they kind of just nod and smile and do their thing. But it tends to be when people like that decide to finally speak up, when it finally goes over the edge, they speak up 
uh, rather vociferously and like you've, you've awakened a giant. And so what will be interesting to me is if, if that's really what's happening in the knitting community and it turns out that these SJWs poked and poked and poked and poked the bear and the bear is finally awake. The bear was tolerant. It let you do your crap. It let you even do a little bit of bullying and it let you run around yelling at people and calling them Nazis. But you went too far and the bear is waking up. And I don't, I, I hope that the bear is waking up anyway and going to fight the battle that needs to be fought here to shut these people up. Yeah, I just uh, I just saw, speaking of <laughs> the bear waking up, I just saw a couple of comments. One, knit, <laughs> was it Knit Fragility, says, oh, you're in it, Carter, like the knitting world. <laughs> 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 and then Nancy said that she's, she doesn't think she could take it to make a video because she's um, just getting all that hatred. She doesn't think she could tolerate it. She's too sensitive, which I would never have guessed about her because she's really funny and, and witty and is always in the comments like being a, a funny bulldog. And so you should make that video. Nancy, I agree with Gracie. Make the video. Turn the comments off if you're afraid of the comments. But I I bet you it would be like uh, Blue Mouse Knits. You would have overwhelmingly positive ones. And then, of course the SJW naysayers, but you already know what the SJWs are going to say. And you, you talk to them in comments already. So I encourage you to make that video. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so what else is going on, Carrie? I mean, you know, is there any other knitting drama or is there anything else we need to, someone, uh, I think, I think uh, someone <laughs> well, in chat, I think it was Blackbeard said that we should, uh, we should talk about the sword community. <laughs> if, is it in the sword community? <laughs> yeah. If there's a sword, if like, if there's a fencing or sword community that's got social justice drama in it, we'll absolutely, uh, we, we will get paid in swords. I know I said no to knits, but swords, <laughs> I'm cool with getting paid swords and ammo. Those things we can get paid in and that's fine. Carter, somebody in the comments on one of our videos asked if you would wear a knitted tie. And I took the opportunity to reply on your behalf and say, Yes, you will. Oh, I know. I followed up with that, and I said, <laughs> I said I would, I would only if it was made from polarized knits. So, ah, there you I go. Like that. I like that. Um, well, one other quick thing about the knit. You said if there's anything else to talk about in the knitting world is Dr. K, who's in chat. Um, uh, I wasn't as caught up on what was happening on her Instagram, but she has been shadow banned. She's had posts removed. We had a post removed. We didn't talk about it yet, but. The SJWs are out in full force, make no mistake. They're reporting everything they can and trying to get it taken down. And um, the the one of ours that they took down, it's funny because they'll use any excuse they can, right? They'll they'll use like any little loophole. And so for the one they took down of ours was, um, I don't know if you remember Carter, but it was the it was the Daily Cafefi where you had the picture of the woman pointing the gun, like looking in the gun, like failing at gun safety. I, don't, I vaguely remember that one, but yeah, okay. They, so they took that down uh, because they said it was us uh, indicating we were going to commit self-harm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then they suggested we go to a suicide hotline. I'm like, well, they'll use any excuse they can to get your post taken down. But yeah, so they took, um, they, they've taken down some of Dr. K's posts and she can clarify in the comments what they've been doing to her, but they, um, shadow banned her and then the the double standard is apparent because people are sending her SJWs are sending her like the, the standard like the vitriolic hateful 
all kinds of hateful name calling and stuff. And, and, um, that she's reported those posts and some of those it's, have not been removed. Some have, I think, and some have not, but, oh. um, but they definitely have a double standard. Yeah. I mean, all you, so I'm friends with a guy named Bosch Faustin, who's been on the show before to talk about Islam. He grew up in Islam and then he's not, um, Muslim anymore. And, uh, all you have to do is t- like talk to Bosch about Facebook. He's got example after example of people, not just like general threats, but very specific threats about how they're going to kill him and mutilate him and they hate him and this is what they're going to do to him and nothing. Facebook's just like, yeah, whatever. But if he posts like some mildly offensive thing about Islam, they like, you know, he's banned for two weeks. It's the the double standard is so obvious that you have to be an ideologue to be blind to it. Which they are. We know that the social media companies have been in, it, the same thing that happened in the knitting world. It's happened at all the big tech companies. All the people, it's like, you know, I'm sure there are people that work at those companies who whatever you've seen in your community, extrapolate it and just assume it's happening in other places. So I'm sure there are employees at Instagram who are just, who are not on board with this and are, but they're afraid. Yeah. Although so I would honestly, I think a lot of people have left companies like that by now. I would imagine, but yeah, but you're right. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are some, but if, and if they're still there, they're afraid and they're not just afraid, like in the knitting community of being ostracized or having their businesses attacked, they're afraid of being fired. It's their job. So, um, but for the most part, yeah, the people making those decisions, I mean, you know, they perma banned Mike Harlow from Twitter. We know Twitter employees, we know Instagram employees, we know Google employees. I went to school with some Google employees um, they're SJW. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of Silicon Valley is, is pretty, I won't say most of them are SJWs. Most of them are cowards enough to bow to SJW ideology. And they, they're pragmatists who believe that if they just, um, mimic the, the syllables that the SJWs want them to, then they'll be left alone to go about and build their businesses. That's, I mean, that's a, a more fair assessment, I think, but it's all over the place. Um, and someone, someone just mentioned something they love about the interview with, that I did with Bosch Faustin, which I encourage people to go look, look at, um, yeah, he had, he won a draw Muhammad contest and he, he, his explicit statement was when they would say, why do you draw Muhammad? Because you tell me not to, because you say I can't, that's why I draw Muhammad. Um, he wouldn't be interested in drawing Muhammad if he wasn't told he wasn't allowed to. That's why he does it. So by the way, thank you, Blackbeard. Blackbeard just gave us. Five bucks. I don't know. You got to tell us what you want us to do, Blackbeard. Do you want us to talk about a particular thing, or is that is it implied that we need to start infiltrating the sword community? Just just let us know. Um, by the way, that that point you just made about um, oh gosh, what was it? This is how scatterbrained I am. You today, mean the right? Bosch Faustin I draw because you tell me I can't? Or not? yes, it made me think of something. A conversation I had in the past few days, which is that. Um, all of this woke ideology going so far, it, they don't realize they're creating, and maybe they do, um, they don't realize the backlash they're creating in, in some ways, like, he draws because he's told he can't. I'm drawing Muhammad because I can't, right? That's what he says. Right. I use the word, there are words that I didn't used to use. Um, <laughs> are you going to use the phrase the, that you told me about the other day? Because I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah, that one too. 
But see, but that's different because that was my internal SJW saying, don't use it. Hey, let me give the example of the word retarded. We use that word on this show. You use it more than I do. Um, I but, love the word retarded. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> phonetically, like that's a word that is a funny word. There are words with certain consonants that just the sound of that word is funny. It's like the word in Swahili, there's a, the word for chicken is cuckoo. I love that word. It just, <laughs> right. but it, that's what a chicken should be called, cuckoo. It looks like a cuckoo. Yeah. Um, and I like saying that word. But anyway, that, that word is one of the words they say is problematic. You can't use it, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I know when I use it, I don't mean mentally handicapped. And so, and, and, but, I, but I still quit using it. I still quit using it because I was like, eh, I, I don't want anyone to misunderstand and out of respect and blah, blah, blah. But because they they're so uh, they're so they're such authoritarians when it comes and with language and they're all about controlling language. I use that word a lot more than I used to now because now I'm like <laughs> f you. I'll use that phrase if I want to. You know what I mean? Like yeah. give me a break. Like I've and and so and I had a I have a liberal friend who a few days ago who's more um, who's I guess I would say just becoming aware of some of the SJW stuff, but without even being aware of it, like he's of the same opinion. He's like, I'm going to use, you know, there's certain words. It's like, yeah, it's, it is, it is a natural reaction to authoritarianism to say, you're saying I can't do this and I'm going to do it, you know? And I know it's that a healthy reaction. Me, yeah. It's a healthy reaction. When I worked with comics back before, back before comedy became so infiltrated by SJW ideology, back when comedians were still not afraid to be offensive, um, that was the number one thing when, when I had comics who would do play nonprofits and colleges, sometimes like we would get notes in advance, especially from the nonprofits. They'd be like, this is an event for LGBT, blah, 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 you know, and we want to make sure that she doesn't say the following list of words. And it would be like a hilarious list of 50 words <laughs> that she couldn't say. And she's an LGBT friendly comic. It's like, you brought her here for a reason. She can't say this. And that's the number one thing at that time. Anyway, before they started, before comedians started kowtowing to SJW ideology, you know, if you tell a comedian back then you can't say these things, they're going to say those things. <laughs> You're just telling them what to say if you say what not to say. It's like they can't help it. It's in their head. They're on stage like, oh, I'm not supposed to say that. Ah, and it <laughs> comes out. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. You know, it, it actually reminds me of something. It, this It's not totally related, but it's kind of related to something else I want to talk about today. If there's any other knitter stuff, though, do that and then we'll move on. Go ahead. I'm I'm cool. Okay. What do you want to talk about? Did you see did you see the mainstream media's reaction to the Mike Bloomberg ad? No, I may have. I saw something today that I didn't I don't know if it was a direct reaction to that. It was hilarious. It was from The Shining and it had I forget her name, but the the wife of the character that plays um, Jack Nicholson's character's wife. And it had her behind the door, you know, that famous scene from The Shining. And it said, it said, you know, me just trying to watch some television. And then the next frame was the picture of Jack Nicholson breaking through the door, except it was Mike Bloomberg's face. And it's oh. <laughs> a Mike Bloomberg ad, like, you're just trying to watch TV. And it's like, hi, Mike Bloomberg's breaking in with his advertisements. Oh. His ads are everywhere now. That, that anyway. is funny. And I have noticed his ads are everywhere. But that's not what I'm talking about. Um Okay, no, I, I don't I like him, obviously, and I already said that he did a crappy job in the debate, so that's my disclaimer to what I'm about to say. But the mainstream media is going crazy. If you didn't see this, um, maybe I can play it. So he he had an ad 
post-debate. And we'll play the ad in a minute, but let's just hear some of the reactions. Dana Bash from CNN said, it didn't happen. It's a deceptively edited video. That didn't happen. Um, a New York Times reporter, Ozzy Paybara, sorry, I'm not, I might not be pronouncing that right. He says, it's mirroring what the Trump campaign does. The Hill said um, that uh, it was also falsely edited. Uh, Vox, the title of a Vox article about this is, Mike Bloomberg tweeted a fake debate video. They changed the word fake later to doctored. Uh, Steph Feldman, policy director for the Biden campaign, said that the video was truly horrifying. This is an alarm bell for our democracy. It's truly horrifying that the Bloomberg team put out such a deceptively edited video. Mark Caputo from Political. For a while now, campaigns have edited in sound over debate clips, but it's clear for its dramatic effect. Bloomberg actually inserts video that never happened, and it's not clear to viewers. It's not quite a deep fake, but maybe it's a shallow fake. Uh, Dem strategist <laughs> and Hillary Rodham Clinton foreign policy spokesperson Jesse LaRich says, Bloomberg is weaponizing disinfo in ways that fundamentally undermine democracy. Drew Harwell from the Washington Post says, Team Bloomberg edits last night's performance, drawing out his rival's signalance to make them look like dummies. Where have we seen this trick before? From Team Trump with Pelosi earlier this month. Now, he's referring to the Trump ads where they just had a, a clip of Pelosi ripping the State of the Union speech, but prior to that, they would like intersperse that scene with moments during the speech that were touching, that were about like a soldier returning from home or someone getting, you know, like regular Americans getting honored. So it was like, you know, because those were all parts of Trump's speech. So they would play the parts of those parts of Trump's speech and then show her ripping Trump's speech up. And apparently that's a doctor. So, and a Twitter official told the Washington Post that the Bloomberg video would probably have a label attached to it if it had been treated after the policy that they're about to have goes into effect about fake news. So, Carrie, would you like to watch the video? Yeah, I'd like to, hear, I'd like to see the video everyone's so upset about. All right, I'm going to show you the video, and then I'm going to show you, uh, and then I'm going to tell you what my 10-year-old said about the video. But okay. for, first, we'll watch the video. So let's, let's actually, let's hope that this even works. Um, Let's even see if you can see it. Can the, all right, you can see it now, I think, right? Yeah, I can see it. All right, let's see if I can make it bigger screen. And let's go. I'm the only one here that I think that's ever started a business. Is that fair? <laughs> this is good. Yeah, it's a good video. I'm the only one. All right, so, so that's the video. It's a good, it's a, okay, it's a funny video. So okay, I thought, real. okay, we are worried. Apparently, we're worried that people don't know that this is doctored. Let me ask a 10-year-old. So I had two questions for my daughter, who's 10. I said, first, do you think that the crickets were real, or do you think that they were added in later? Her answer, they were added in later. Do you think the length of silence, uh, that you know, the length of silence after he asked the question, do you think that was real? Or do you think that was, you know, he just, you know, clipped things together to make it look like it was that long? And her answer, this is my favorite part of her answer, which is why I'm sharing this. She says, well, that obviously wasn't real. 
and this is a quote, it's obviously edited because politicians can't keep their mouth shut for that long. So <laughs> that <laughs> is your daughter. Yeah. So look, so this is here's, hilarious. Here's the issue. We are simultaneously telling people that, oh my God, people are so dumb. We have to worry about every stupid little ad and video that's on social media. It's going to ruin the elections, blah, blah, blah. A lot of these people are like, Russia, Russia's doing this, right? All this kind of crap. People are totally up in arms about how dumb the public is and how this will absolutely sway votes, blah, blah, blah. Don't know if that's true or not, but it doesn't matter. And simultaneously, and this is the thing that a volunteer, as like, as a, as a voluntarist really bothers me. Simultaneously, they're like, we really need to get out the vote and make sure it's easy for people to go out and vote. No, we don't. If you think people are that dumb that they're fooled by this video, I don't think we should be trying to get the vote out. Maybe let's make it a little complicated. So <laughs> like that, I don't, I don't know that getting the vote out's a great idea. Why, how can you support like mass <laughs> easy voting and at the same time think people are dumb enough to fall for this. I don't know. That's an excellent, excellent point. They do both. They they assume that people are stupid and then they say, but let's get all the stupid people to vote. But but here's the thing. I think they're disingenuous. There if this had been an Elizabeth Warren ad, you wouldn't see the media firestorm that you're describing to me because Elizabeth Warren is part of the cathedral and they are going after Bloomberg. Like if if this were Trump if this were Bernie, I think they would go after Bernie. Um, but but because it's because it's someone they want to the DNC, the media want to kneecap him, and so it's just my opinion. Uh, but they did the same thing. You you can see this like the left, my side. I'm crit about to criticize my side, guys. <laughs> well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think the left has already <laughs> told me that you are a raging Republican who's been lying. But but okay, go ahead. Yeah, they, they've said I'm a bot. But anyway, the left has no problem with humor like this when they're the ones doing it and when the when it's someone that they like and who's part of the part of the cathedral. So you can have quote unquote edited like doctored like funny videos on any late night show. It's it's they're totally fine with it. But the minute remember, remember when uh, was it conservative? It was conservative millennial. She's a conservative YouTuber. She did a video where she took an uh, AOC interview and she cut it up and interspersed herself as if she was the interviewer. It was clearly parody. Obviously, she's not oh, the interviewer. Yeah. The, yeah. Remember that? I remember like, that. It was, it was like really a, funny. Yeah, and she took the interview she took was a national one. I can't remember if it was 60 Minutes or it was something big. She took it and she inter she cut it up and made it like she was asking AOC the questions. And she did a lot of stuff like that where she had AOC like like crickets and there was no, and it was obvious parody. And what did the left do? The left was like, look at this fake news. Look at this fake video. This is fake. They're trying to doc, they're doctoring it to try and confuse people and make AOC, make people think AOC said all this. It's like, it's comedy guys. Like everybody knows it's comedy, but I had, I had people um, on the left, friends of mine who argued with me for days about this, who they're so um, in their, they're so, like secluded in their little echo chamber that they real and they and that I think I think sometimes the people who push the narrative that Americans are so stupid they don't understand this they're truly disingenuous they're just pushing that narrative because like I said it's a it's someone they don't like who's doing it but the other thing but sometimes I think they're like uh 
the people that believe the narrative, like some of my friends who believe the narrative that, hey, Trump voters might think this is real. It's because they're so secluded and they really do think that right is made up of a bunch of dumb people. It's because they're arrogant. They think they're so smart and they think the right is dumb. And they look at something like that and they go, well, I can see that it's parody, but all those dumb Trump voters can't. And I'm like, no, like, they know it. They know it's comedy. Trust me. Like, yeah, I mean, I, anyway. I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is people want to control. It's all about controlling the narrative, right? So in their mind, they imagine like, well, people aren't voting the way I want them to vote because I'm not in charge of the information they see. It's it's basically just, prop, it's like someone who wants to be in charge of propaganda. So it's like, well, if Facebook controlled it and make sure it was correct information, then people would vote for what yeah. I want them to vote for because the information would be correct. And uh, there's no, there's no, there's no trust that people, there's actually no trust in democracy, which I don't trust either, but these people ostensibly trust democracy but they there's no actual trust in democracy what they would prefer to do is put their trust in the cathedral and control the cathedral because you know damn well carrie if facebook and twitter and google were owned by the coach brothers or coke brothers whatever <laughs> right there's no way that people would be like yeah they should uh they should be policing which is fake news and which isn't no way yeah no way um by the way kent, kent pointed out in chat he just said they still try and debunk the Babylon Bee. Yes, that's hilarious. The Babylon Bee is like the onion. Obvious. Duh. It's satire. And they constantly try and get store Babylon Bee headlines pulled, stories pulled. They try and censor it from social media. You know why? Because it's effective. Because comedy is effective. Uh, one, one of my um, friends online said uh, yesterday or today about, um, about Maria Tuscan's yarn names. She's, and, and the sense of humor behind it, right, of poking fun of this rhetoric. She said, humor, humor is a good way of breaking spells. And I thought, that's a great way of putting it. You're breaking the spells that they cast with all this pseudo-intellectual um, jargon. And hu humor is a great spell breaker. So they have to go after the Babylon Bee because the Babylon Bee is funny. And it, it makes people laugh and it's effective and it highlights truth. Good comedy, I think. Good comedy. It, not all of it, but some good com some good comedy is just silly. Some good comedy illuminates the truth. Yeah, and the, you're totally right. It breaks spells and because it bypasses um, all of your inhibitions. It, like it just gets right to your in in Jonathan Haidt terminology, it speaks to your elephant directly. It just bam. Yeah. Right there, it bypasses your rider, yeah. and you can't help but react. Yeah. And it, yeah. which makes you question yourself. By the way, you'll appreciate this since you wanted to talk about debunking Babylon B. I've, I yeah. ran across this <laughs> meme. This is hilarious to me. This is Snopes. It's fact-checking. So here's the thing they're checking. Uh, if we confiscated 100% of the wealth of every billionaire in America, would have enough money to run the federal government for less than eight months. Our problem isn't how much billionaires have. It's how much politicians spend. And this is a meme that was going around February 3rd. Snopes fact-checked this meme. Verdict. False. You ready for their explanation? The claim was based on figures produced by Forbes in 2016, when billionaires were estimated to have a combined net worth of $2.4 trillion. It cost $2.6 trillion to run the government for eight months, so actually it will be nine months. That's their, oh my gosh. That's their false. That's how it's false. It would be nine months. <laughs> it's not that it's false. It's that 
false. It's that they were off by a month. It's not that or they false, used yeah they used data of, from yeah. like a couple years ago instead of this year. I don't know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Talk about nitpicking and looking for a loophole. That's crazy. They're so. Oh my god! I remember when. Okay, here's a question for you, Carter, because because your views might have remained relatively stable compared to the way mine have shifted. I used to view Snopes as an ultimate like authority on what was biased and not. And I remember I would always use Snopes to fact check and I would send stuff out to my conservative relatives. And I'm talking about during the George W. Bush years and stuff. Right. What has Snopes always been this bad or have they changed? Have they been infiltrated by SJWs as well? Well, have they always been this bad? Um, this is just my impression. I haven't, uh, obviously done a study on this. I don't think they were always this bad because I've had roughly the same political views for 20 years, at least maybe longer. Uh, maybe Keith, the hat guy probably knows he can probably do the math. I don't remember because he was around me when I changed some of my political views, <laughs> but at least 20 years when Snopes came out, I used Snopes regularly, but it was mostly stuff I don't remember it being a lot of political debunking. I remember it mostly being like, you know, is it true that Sasquatches are, you know, alive and well in Alaska? And like, no, it's not. And they would debunk stupid stuff like that. I don't remember a lot of political or ideological-based fact-checking going around. So, and I see that a lot more now, and I don't know if that's because the internet has changed and there's a lot more political memes now. And that's why they're doing it. So they always had that ideology or whether if they've changed. My guess is that probably both are a little bit true. My guess is that they've changed a little bit because even regular people. So let's rewind 20 years ago when I moved to Silicon Valley. I think I've told the story before, but I was a libertarian at the time. And the, you know, look, San Francisco's left. It's always been left. A lot of people in San Francisco you know, they thought I was weird because, uh, you know, what about the roads, that kind of stuff. But they, you know, I wasn't a, they didn't consider me a, a horrible right winger or whatever. We agreed on a lot of social issues that, you know, like gay marriage and, you know, the war on drugs and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I was kind of left alone. Now, my views haven't really changed very much. But the rest of the, now, I mean, one of the reasons I left uh, Venture is... I was I was accused of being a Nazi because I retweeted Mike Cernovich once. So, like, it's it's not me that's changed. It was Silicon Valley changed. And I think even people who, like I said before, even people who don't aren't totally bought in have kind of gone down that path because it's a way to get uh, popular. And at the very least, it's the way to keep the – they think it's a way to keep the rabid SJWs off their backs. So uh, that was a long-winded answer, but – but, well, every, everybody in chat seems to agree with you that it didn't used to be so bad, and now it's just insane. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, well, there you go. Okay. You well, go. that makes me feel better that my I, – because I wasn't – again, it's hard for me to tell sometimes because I'm moving, and when something that I'm looking at is moving, I'm like, how right. much am I – how much of it is relevant to what I'm doing? Right. Yeah, you've got a relative motion problem where I don't have a relative motion problem. There has been – very little relative motion on my end for quite some time. Uh, that's how you get to be an old curmudgeon, by the way, is you just don't change your beliefs. For a while. I've changed some beliefs. I've changed <laughs> some beliefs. Uh, by the way, I want to give credit. I don't know who this dude is. Seth Mandel. 
maybe he's a famous, he's probably on the right, I don't know. But uh, he used a phrase which I think totally captures this whole uh, upset over the Bloomberg thing. So I just, I just want to mention it because it, it was good. He says, the continued freak out over the Bloomberg video is a good example to, of the extent to which people's brains are broken. And we're going to get some hella bad policies and regulations because people in power have somehow convinced themselves Facebook ads determine U.S. elections. I remember watching members of Congress hold up Facebook ads calling Hillary the devil in a freaking congressional hearing and being like, what are we going to do about this? And here's the line that I I think he perfectly uh, captures what's going on. He said, we're governed by several hundred Grandpa Simpsons. Yes, that's what that's what's going on. <laughs> we're governed by Grandpa Simpson. So I just wanted to share that video with you guys or that that visual. Well, I like that. Um, Carrie, I have kind of a weird nerdy thing. I don't know if it's, I don't know how nerdy it is, but uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about before I do a weird nerdy thing? Go, go, go right ahead. Okay. Um, so this was someone on Twitter shared this about, <laughs> I've always, I never really thought actually we would do a show where I had to, I get to say the word dick pics, but this is that show, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what, is there, a, is there genital portraits? <laughs> I'll, I'll call it I genital portraiture could, because that sounds better. I think you could just call it Anthony Wieners. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> Anthony's Wiener. Anyway, um, this person was talking about she she cataloged all the direct messages that she got, the unsolicited direct messages that she got on Twitter, and she noticed and she was trying to kind of paint a picture of how guys behave and she i think this is high but apparently five percent of the unsolicited dms were genital portraiture (laughs) and so 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 it's a lot so then but then she writes and this is correct what she's about to write she writes math is cruel with odds how many men must a woman encounter before there's a 50% chance that at least one of them is sexist if 99% of them are? So she said, okay, look, if if only one in 100 guys, Twitter's probably skewed, right? There's probably more creeps on Twitter. So let's say if there's only 1% of the guys send dirty pics, unsolicited dirty pics, how many women, if, if you know, if a, how many how many men does an average woman have to meet before she's got a more than half of the probability that she's actually had this happen to her? And the answer is 69, which is not very many. So most people know more than 69 people of the opposite gender. And wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure if I follow you. You're saying that. Um, are you saying that the average woman has to meet 69 men before she gets? A DP. No, I'm saying that if you take a population of of it's the likelihood that she so there's a, a quiescent point, right? The likelihood when the likelihood gets to be more than fifty percent that she will have seen one, right? Once she's met sixty nine. Okay, men, so once she's met sixty, the likelihood people, is more. It's the odds are in the favor of having seen this, right? Does that makes sense. More than okay, so got it. All right, a better example that might be more clear to you, which she also gives is. If you meet 500 men in your life, there's a 99% chance that at least one of them has done this thing, right? Um, so that's 
And she also says, this means if you have a room of 100 men and 100 women, likely only one of the men does weird stuff like this, but likely most of the women have experienced it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I think she's true. I mean, her math is correct here. But... There's something missing. No, well, I don't think there's anything missing. I I think what's it's important to understand that this math applies to literally every uncommon trait. And the onus is on the person to, to, here's the problem. Any uncommon trait that has the same kind of math. So this is where the origin of a lot of stereotypes are. Just because one guy out of 100 that you've met might do this, it's incorrect to therefore stereotype all men as being gross and doing this. And the problem lies with people leaping from I've experienced this to all men are like this or this is generally true for men because I've experienced it and every woman I know has experienced it, therefore all men are like this, right? Because you could say that about every, almost every stereotype. Well, everyone I know has experienced that stereotype, therefore that stereotype is true. And I, I just want to point out that this it's not limited to genital portraiture and men versus women. It's its true about any kind of stereotype. And it's probably how stereotypes start, right? You, you, you have a stereotype about a group of people. There's some small percentage that engages in that behavior. A lot of a lot more people experience that behavior than than it seems like would be reflected given the percentage, but that's just how the math works. And so people all turn to each other and say, "Yeah, they're all like that." Because I've everyone I know has experienced that from this group of people. Let's judge this entire group of people, which is mostly what the radical feminists do to men. They take a very small percent. They okay, a small percentage of men do this, and then they just say, "Well, men are like this because all the women I know have experienced this." Does that make sense? Yes, but I have an additional comment. There's something that's wrong with it. Okay, go ahead. Well, that to me is obvious. I mean, duh, all men don't do that, duh. Um, a better example of that that fallacy is I just saw on Twitter yesterday some guy, some blue verified checkmark named Andrew P. Street said, Dear all men, stop killing women and children. Stop it. I, I saw that Yours. tweet, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yours, Andrew. And I'm like, dear Andrew P. Street, stop demonizing all men. Like, come on, come on. All men don't kill women and children. What the, what the crap is wrong with you? Um, so so I, I totally agree with you there. But the other thing that's wrong with that, I think, is her with her math is that, and this is not blaming the victim. I'm not blaming the victim of people who get deep DPs. <laughs> I'm just saying, here's what I'm about. I do think I do think what she's missing there. If you were to do a study about that, like how how frequently women get them, whatever, you have to control for a few other factors. Like what kind of posts does that woman do? What kind of? And I, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, you know, what does she look like? Is she posting a lot of selfies? Is she? Does she seem like she's the type of? I don't get DPS. I'm not right. Saying yeah. So I'm, I didn't want to you know go I mean? there. The numbers like, probably was much less than one percent. That's true. And it does yeah, depend on it, how much. Yeah, there's a lot of factors, but you're totally right. And the right, and just to clarify what I'm saying again, the problem is with the guy sending the DP. It's not with her. No matter what she, how she dresses or what she posts or whatever. I'm just saying. I think to, if you're looking at it from a scientific perspective, you also have to take into account who are they sending them to, and are, is it more prevalent that they send them to women who post certain types of like? The, it's just a different. Like what? What type of blogger are you? What type of tweeter are you? What do you tweet about? Do you? 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, where are my DPs? I'm just, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm so Carrie no, is now I'm asking for this. So all the guys in chat, uh, I'm totally right kidding. I don't, I don't want them. <laughs> I don't want them. You know, the, um, this reminds me, someone was saying, it's, it's funny how people like, they really have an ideological or just, I'll just call it an emotional perspective and they and they try and shoehorn everything into it and i saw something the other day about this on twitter about like oh most uh i guess women aren't retweeted as much as men and it's like i don't suppose so something interesting then i don't think it's sexist men have a hard time getting as many followers as a woman who just like jumps onto twitter and shows her boobs so like yeah there's weirdness with behavior on twitter and it's related to lots of things but the idea that like oh the big problem is that women aren't getting retweeted because uh, because of sexism, like I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of women getting retweeted just because of skin. So yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It's, I mean, again, this goes back to that um, when we talk about how people we we tend to as humans look for one reason for things, like the univariate reason. It's like there's multivariate reasons probably, but yeah, no, I don't want. That was a joke. I do not want your DPS. <laughs> I don't know. I may have gotten one in the past. I guess it wasn't a significant because I don't remember any. So, um, anyway, I mostly get pe people are like, watch this interesting video, read this article, and, you know, that's cool. <laughs> By the way, I have to give Maggie's grace in chat. Beat me to it. I was about to type that Blackbeard needs a safe space because he said that he was uncomfortable. But Maggie's grace beat me to it. Good job, Maggie's grace. <laughs> he, needs a he needs a safe space. <laughs> it can be uncomfortable. It's cool. It's an uncomfortable topic. Uh but. By the way, since we're, since we're on this topic, I did see there's a woman, this is a while back on social media, who a woman who I guess gets these, photo, these kinds of photos uh, more frequently than I do. And um, she said her, her favorite thing to do is to save them in a folder so that when she gets a new one from some new strange man, she she's, if he sends it to her unsolicited, then she goes, oh, wow. And she just sends one, a different one back to him. <laughs> 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 that makes me laugh so hard. It's like, ooh, I don't want that. Yeah, why'd you think I wanted it? <laughs> here's another, here's, I'm gonna send you a bunch of them. I don't want those, ma'am. It's like, yeah, I didn't want them either. <laughs> uh, that see, the free market comes up with great responses to this stuff. Just leave it at that. <sighs> oh well. What else you got, Carrie? Uh, let's see. I, I still haven't, we were talking about Bloomberg earlier. I only watched, I, I need to do my due diligence and I want to watch all of his interactions with Warren in the debate. I only watched like a, a, a fragment of one. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think I might disagree with you. And you and I don't have a good track record of predicting. No, who's let's be, be clear. We're both horrible at predicting who's going to do well in the Democratic We're primary. So, horrible. yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we won't predict. Right. Carter <laughs> thought Kamala Harris had a big shot. I thought Beto had a big shot, both out. Not that we supported those. I was hoping Beto would not. I did not vote for him here. It was the first time I voted Republican was against him. Um, but but our predictions are have not been a sound. <laughs> but I do have a new one. I do have a new one. You know what? Kamala Harris totally would have gotten the nomination if it wasn't for the Russian bots. It was all Tulsi's fault. So I'm going to stand by my prediction. Well, I think, uh, I think, I don't know. I think 
Pittsburgh might have a shot at being the nominee. That's Why? My What's, prediction. Just give me your reasoning. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Well, you just showed me this ad, for example, which is funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get, he's good at the ads. Okay. Yeah. He's good at the ads. He's good at the social media. He's hired the right people who get it. Sometimes it's not just a matter of having money and hiring people. You can have money and hire the wrong people who don't get it. It's a top-down thing of telling the people who work for you what you want your social media to be like, what you want your ads to be like. So I think he's making some smart decisions when it comes to how he's approaching um, social media and, I guess, I guess ads. And, so, and I kind of think the same thing that worked in Bernie's favor and Trump's favor, this uh, idea, this, this uh, view of them being outsiders, I think people view him as an outsider. I do. So I don't know. Yeah, my the caveat I would say to that is uh, he's not as dynamic um, personally as Trump, and we're not talking about a general election. We're talking about the Democratic primary, and there seems to be a prerequisite that to be in the de- like to be a Democrat, you seem to have to hate billionaires. So I don't know. I don't know how he's going to overcome that. I mean, all his opponents have to say is that he's a billionaire like Trump, and I, I think that that rules him out in a lot of people's minds. But I could be wrong. Which, which, by the way, that is one thing I noticed in the fragments of the debate I watched. Um, was it, I thought it was funny that you had these millionaire, multimillionaires on stage criticizing a billionaire. As if, right. Oh, you're a billionaire, but I'm... I'm a millionaire. It's cool, right? Like, but you're a billionaire, but I'm a millionaire. <laughs> that man has more zeros. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Hi, Nicole. Hello, Nicole of the Mountain People. Good to see you. You missed all the DP talk. You're gonna have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nicole, you do not have to go watch that. Um, Jason M. Thank you, Jason M. He just gave us five bucks. He says, "In your book club, would you consider a critical book review of one of Robin DiAngelo's books? Remember Sun Tzu's maxim: Know thine enemy." Um, I'd actually rather read The Art of War, but I don't know. I mean, maybe here's the thing with book club. I really want to enjoy book club and that would not be a super enjoyable experience. I do think it's important to know your enemy and maybe I'm being arrogant, but I don't really think she's going to say anything that I don't already know about her stupid arguments in her book, but I'm not ruling it out completely. I mean, we can chat about it maybe it's you know maybe it's worth worth reading Here's, i just what no, a horrible no, no. month I've, that will be no i'm putting my foot down now um, <laughs> carrie's saying no okay <laughs> no i have no problem with knowing my enemy and i think we should read we should all be reading these books we criticize but i don't want to do it in book club book club is an enjoyable thing and book club it, like you said it's not like i, I don't want to sit there and go oh i can't oh i want to read this book I would rather save those books for the video discussions we've done. Like we've done some in the past where we've talked about, we did one about Robin D'Angelo. Um, we didn't read the full book before then you read one of them. We, we did excerpts, but um, I would be happy to do videos like that where we take apart a book, you and I um, that, you know, but I, but I don't want to, I don't want to force all of our viewers to be like, Oh, this month's book is something you're really going to hate. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I don't want to subject... I'm, I would be willing to read it if it was important and you guys wanted us to analyze it. I wouldn't want to subject all of the lovely people here in chat and in book club generally. To, like, hey, the book we picked for you this month is Robin D'Angelo. I, yeah, 
I don't know that that would go well. It would be like the scene in Lost. This is what one of our first book club videos. I had I had Carter cut up the scene in Lost. I don't know if you guys ever watched Lost, where uh, where Ben the bad guy comes and he's like, I guess I'm not a book club. Oh yeah, I think I <laughs> anyway. used that clip in one of the early book club p- promo yeah. videos. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. What else? Um, I don't know. Jack sent us some stuff, by the way, which is, uh, did you see this this brawl at the Bernie Sanders rally between a white guy and a black guy who was wearing a Black Guns Matter t-shirt? No. Uh, but Black Guns Matter, if you guys don't know, we did an interview on Deprogrammed with Maj Ture, and it, he's the founder of Black Lives, Black Guns Matter, Black Guns Matter, um, and you, you should definitely check out that video. He was fun to talk to, but no, I didn't see this video. Yeah, yeah, He and, and just so you know what he means by Black Guns Matter is he's not making fun of Black Lives Matter. He's His argument, he's pretty focused on the Second Amendment, and his argument based on history is that often gun control laws have been used to disarm minorities in particular. And so his argument is that more than anyone, minority communities need the right to carry firearms. And he does a lot of, he'll do like impromptu gun safety lessons by just, he took a bag of guns, literally just went to the streets of Philadelphia, plopped the bag of, they weren't, I think they were um, not real, but plopped the good, plopped the bags of guns down and like, pulled them out and used them to teach people gun safety on the corner of a street corner in Philadelphia. He's kind of a cool guy and he's very focused on how gun control has negatively impacted and and continues to negatively impact the black community. So there was a guy at the Bernie rally who was a black guy wearing a black guns matter t-shirt and some, (laughs) I'm going to assume leftist because he's at a Bernie rally, some Bernie bro white dude it like starts a fight with him. He's all, you're racist. And he, like you're comparing black people to guns. Like I, it, it was just, you know, a typical idiotic thing. And they actually ended up getting into like a fist fight at the Bernie rally. Wow. I just thought that was par for the course with wow. the left. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Uh, uh, white guys and white people in general in the SJW ideology who believe that it's, it's their moral imperative as a savior to speak on behalf of black people and to tell them what they believe and should believe and what's good for them. Right. And this has been one of the overwhelming things I've noticed in the SJW to the SJW knitting stuff is in all the comments on to go back to that for a second on blue mouse knits video. There are lots of people of color in that thread who are in agreement with blue mouse knits who are not in agreement with SJWs and the, all the white women SJWs in that thread, ignoring them and then continuing to talk on behalf of people of color. And I actually got into a discussion with one of them on my Instagram page a couple of days ago, a white woman who was speaking on behalf of people of color. And she said, she pretty much admitted, she said, it's our job as white allies. It is our job to speak on behalf of black people because Black people are so oppressed right. and without agency. She didn't put it in these words, but that's what she said. That's what she meant. They're so oppressed and they're so without agency that we have to come in and talk for them. 
That's what their ideology teaches them. How racist is that? Yeah. They don't even see how racist that is. Like, you're here speaking on behalf. It's bad enough when you try to speak on behalf of white people and say, we white people need to blah, blah, blah. Like, hey, good. nobody elected you. I didn't elect you. Um, it's bad enough when you do that. But how racist is it of you? How paternalizing? How how uh, they want to talk about colonialism? You guys want to talk about colonialism? And you're coming in like, I'm here to speak on behalf of the people of color. And like, yeah. no, nobody elected you. Yeah. Lin- so. Lindsay Peterson in chat points out it's a new version of the white man's burden. And she's absolutely... She's absolutely correct. And not only do they speak to, like, it's not just that the white people are like, I'm going to I'm gonna speak on behalf of the minority community to other white people. In this case, it's like, I'm going to tell a black person that he's racist because he has the wrong viewpoint, yeah. and I'm speaking for black people, not the black person. That's, oh, that's how twisted and messed up this ideology is. And they, they either ignore the people of color who don't agree with the ideology— or worse, they do what this guy did. They attack them. They attack them because their very existence proves that the ideology is wrong. It proves that people of color don't all have one opinion and they don't all subscribe to this ideology. Their very existence angers them. <laughs> and so they will, some of them will attack. Yeah, <laughs> Keith, in, Keith, the hat guy in chat says, without the help of rich white leftists, no black person will be able to eat dinner. I really think that's what they feel. They think that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a mess. I don't know that. And actually, I don't think Jack will be mad at me for reading this because it doesn't reveal his identity. So, I think that Jack was a Bernie supporter at one point, and he says, "This is exactly why I left." or more accurately, why I was kicked out of the Bernie group. There's no room for tolerance or disagreement. I was called a corporate whore and a Hillary bot just for not agreeing with Bernie's stance on food label laws. That's right. Just for disagreeing (laughs) about a small matter like labeling GMO foods, they tried to kick me out of the Facebook support group for being a troll. Now, if you don't agree with Bernie's changed stance on guns, even if you're a black man, you're a racist. Yep. There you go. Thanks, so, Bernie. Uh, Daniel says something in chat. He says, Carrie, SJWs also forgive bad behavior in minority communities from, from, from people who are people of color, um, which says they are not civilized enough. Hold on. The chat's going too fast. Which says they are not civilized enough to be held accountable for their actions. Right. Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what that behavior says. It says we don't hold you to the same standards. We look down on you and therefore we're not going to hold you to the same standard. Like it, it's completely, um, it, it's called the soft. Yeah. It's called the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I don't remember, I think that was actually, I hate to say this, but I think it might've been a, one of the bushes who defined or said that first, but I think it might've been one of the yeah, bushes, but it it's true. It's true. And, and I, that, um, it, it leads me to a thought I, I was, I had the other day, which is that, um, on one of our videos, oh, uh, the interview that we did with Maria Tuscan has gotten some new comments now that uh, it, Tuscan Knits stuff has been in the news. And um, and one of those comments was from a black female uh, YouTuber in the knitting world. And it was the typical SJW stuff. You know, she, she uh, just started attacking and 
talking about how she could educate us and we need to unlearn things and whatever. It's from that, that assumed, unearned, moral and intellectual high ground. It's not a person who really wants to have a conversation and help you understand their point of view better. And then they ask questions and try to understand your point of view better. It's just coming in and saying, let me preach to you because you're wrong. And here's my religion. And, um, and so that's what she was doing. And we had a back and forth that got pretty contentious for a while, but I think it ended in a pretty okay way. I basically told her, look, if you have disagreements with our video, like, feel free. Why don't you, you're, you're a video creator. Why don't you make a rebuttal video where you actually quote us in context? Don't make a video about your, your lying false interpretation of what we said, use our quotes and rebut them. And go right ahead. Like that's a real conversation. Do that. And so that's kind of where it ended. But I was thinking about it afterwards and I was like, here's the thing about her. I wonder if at some gut level, the SJWs who are people of color, women of color. Um, I wonder if the, I wonder if at some gut level, does she not respect, respect that more that a person, it's like, I respect you enough to say whatever my opinions are to you. I am not a white SJW who's going to censor myself and bow to you because you're black and say, you must be right because you're black. Like I respect you enough to treat you as an equal and not as someone I must just like, Oh, I'm not treating you differently. I respect you enough to say, we can have a conversation here. I'm not just going to say, Oh, you must be right. Look at your skin color. Um, I think probably, I mean, I know I feel that way about men. I can't stand male SJWs who are like, oh, you're a woman, you must be right, you know. I, I don't want to disagree because I don't want to mansplain. Like, no, respect me enough as you're equal to disagree with me and to have a conversation with me. That's, I, I respect that much more than someone who's just like in the ideology, this cult member is like, oh, well, you're a woman. Oh, like, I bow and genuflect, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been my lived experience. <laughs> In, in dealing with people is uh, that, you know, the, the people of color friends appreciate just honest discussion. They don't, they don't like being pandered to. And I think that it reminds me of the, you've told the story before, but that was that, that person that you knew, I don't know if it was a friend or not, but that was complaining like, I'm, I need to have more black friends. I don't understand why I don't have more black friends. Yeah. And you were like, because you're looking at them as black friends, not friends. That's why. Yeah, because you're an SDW and your your ideology is racist, and it it turned you into a racist. You might have started out with good intentions, but this ideology has twisted them and corrupted you and corrupted your good intentions. And now you don't look at a black person as a person. You look at them as a person. As a, you don't look at a black person as a person. You look at them as black first. Right. And you go after them and you zero in on them and are like, "Be my friend. You're black." Like so gross. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Uh, anyway, embarrassing mom who is Gracie. Oh, and, and by the way, oh, go uh, ahead. real quick, Nicole of the Mountain People, who's in chat, knows who that woman is that we're talking about. By the way, oh, okay, that woman. Yeah, she runs a whole uh, group dedicated to using civility to try and convince Trump voters why they're wrong. She's she's a white female SJW and. Uh, it, she's not the only one. There's a bunch of white S, female SJWs in her group. They all bemoan this thing, oh, same thing. They're all like, I don't understand why I don't have more 
I can't make more friends who are of color. Right. Uh, anyway, right. okay, go ahead. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like people don't know if you're liking them for a superficial quality. In fact, I was having a conversation um, with someone the other day who was gay, and he was like, he was saying that he there's a few people in his life that he thinks are just trying to be friends with him because they want to have a gay friend. <laughs> just like yeah. What a horrible, yes. like, you know how horrible that must feel? <laughs> like, I'm your token? It's got to feel horrible. Um, but anyway, Gracie, embarrassing mom in chat says, how fast do you think the SJWs will turn on Bernie should he ever get into office? After all, he's a straight white male, right? He's just a vehicle. I think that's a good point. I think he probably, they probably will turn on him because, look, no matter what he does, it won't be enough because it never is. And so let's say he gets in and he tries to implement everything. It still won't be enough. They will rally behind some other person who's got higher status on the social justice hierarchy. And we've seen the SJWs eat their own already. Not only that, the authoritarian ideology always eats the weaker ones. And Bernie is a weaker one. Bernie is weak compared to, you know, he's not Genghis Khan, right? He's not he's not ready to just like overtly mow people down with bullets and throw people in gulags, even though that's where his ideology would lead. So he will be, if, if he were elected, I think the next wave, the next, uh, the up and comers would be more horrific. That's just my thought on that one. Um, <laughs> Little Ragamuffin says, Little Ragamuffin says that, uh, 100% accurate fact. 90% of SJWs are middle-aged white girls. Don't fact-check me. Probably. I don't know. Maybe Snopes can fact-check um, you, little ragamuffin. I don't know. So Marianne says, I've been trying to go back to not noticing the color of people's skin. Good. Good. This SJW ideology tells you the opposite. The opposite of... of how to end racism. It tells you to focus on these trivial things about a person. It doesn't mean you can't notice differences. In fact, I mean, obviously you do. And, and, and any difference is something that could be interesting about a, a new person you're meeting. It doesn't have like this person, uh, you know, plays basketball. I don't know anything about that. Let me learn about that. Or this person is a musician. I don't know anything about that. Let me learn about that. Like there's obviously you notice differences in people, but, but, but what they teach you is that the immutable characteristics of a person, their race and their sex and their sexuality, is the most important thing about them. And that, and not just that's the most important thing, that you should treat them differently, that we should all treat each other differently based on what color we are, what sex we are. And, and that's the opposite of ending collectivism. That's, that's, it is collectivism. So, I would say I'm, I'm highlighting this comment of Marianne's because I was in SJWism and it did to me what you're talking about. It made me start looking at people differently. It made me start treating them differently based on race and sex and sexuality. And it turned me into the things I thought I was fighting. Um, and that's messed up. And, and I know we've talked about this example before, but I'm going to give it because some of you may not have heard it, but that woman we were talking about in her group where it's a bunch of white female SJWs bemoaning the fact that they can't make friends with women of color. One of them said, she gave an example. She said, uh, you know, this black woman just moved to my town. I would really like to become her friend, 
Um, but, you know, they, they were using examples of uh, the so-called the SJW buzzword microaggressions. And she said something about how, uh, you know, she can't ask her, she won't ask her where she's from because that's a microaggression to a person of color. That's BS. Get that stuff out of your head. Would you ask it of a white person? Then ask it of a person of color. It doesn't, it, I get the good intention there that what they're trying to say is that you shouldn't assume someone who has brown skin, you shouldn't automatically assume they're from another country, like where are you from, know where are you really from, like that kind of stuff. That's the good intention. But like with everything in SJWism, they blow past the good intention and they abuse it and they misuse it and it turns you into a little racist where you see this woman, I'm like, you could, you could maybe, maybe she's from Ohio and you're from, you have a, your brother's in Ohio and there you have an introduction, an entryway into a conversation. But you look at her and if she were white, you would ask that question. But because she's black, you're going to cut that off, cut off that entryway into conversation because you've been indoctrinated by a racist ideology that tells you to say, oh, I would ask this except she's black. Let me, let me censor myself. Let me edit my natural human curiosity about another human and their experience. Like, that's stupid. Stop doing that. That's yeah. my rant. I mean, and and <laughs> I I get you know I get there's a counter argument to like you can't no you can't not notice skin color. Honestly, I like I don't try to not notice skin color. I just try to be authentic. Yeah. So be authentic. I don't judge people based on skin color, but it's not like I don't notice if if I'm talking to someone who's black, I may ask about stuff that's happening in the black community or their views on stuff as a black person. Like that's that's a thing because. It's in the cultural zeitgeist, like not noticing, like anything you do that's inauthentic is detectable. And then people know that it's like, it's, uh, you're being weird around them. Don't be weird around people. If, you know, if you meet, you meet someone who's, you know, I, you meet someone who's paralyzed I, I, here. No, here's a real example from real life. I met a guy, I know him still. He had a glass eye. Now, the first conversation I ever had wasn't what happened to your eye, but you damn well know I asked eventually, like, we met, we hung out, whatever. Once I got to know him, I'm like, by the way, whatever happened, like, what happened to your eye? Why do you have a glass eye? Like, okay, and we, like, had a conversation about it. It would be false for me to pretend that I didn't notice. That's just a, that's just fake. You can't be fake with people. That's not how yeah. you build genuine relationships with people. Yeah. It's a, this is a bit of a rant we're going on, but I think it's really important because it's these day-to-day -day interactions where you can like try and remove that indoctrination that you, that self-censor, that racist and sexist programming that they've put into you that goes against human nature or our friendly, like human nature. Don't listen to that crap. It's stupid. Right. And I, and I actually, the, the guy with the eye, I remember him saying something about this later. Like I remember him saying something about like, people that not, don't want to mention it. <laughs> He's like, it's not like I don't know I have a glass eye. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why do they not want to like, say anything? <laughs> what glass eye? Wait, yeah, I, I just I just imagined someone like, wait, I'm black? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like yes, it's fine. I'm short. By the way, Keith said he needs more short friends. Um, You got me, Keith. I'm short. That's good. I'm short. Um, okay, so I have to go, I have to go because I have to go to work. I actually, so default username is asking what happened to his eye. I don't want to tell because it's kind of an embarrassing story about his behavior as a child, which led to this. And it, 
It was and not it, a BB gun, Nancy. He did not shoot his eye out with a BB gun, but it is that is a great movie. And it's his story, so it's his. It's not my story, yeah. Okay. But um, um, okay. All right, you have to go I to work. To... Is that what you're telling us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Unfortunately, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, jarts! I remember jarts. Um, I'm gonna let you go because there's one more thing I want to say that you your eyes will glaze over for Carrie. Uh, is so, it about money? What? <laughs> is it about money? No, it's about President Lincoln. <laughs> I wouldn't glaze over at President Lincoln. That was very interesting. Oh. What do you have? Yeah. But it will be about his monetary policy. Oh, yeah. I got to go. I'll talk <laughs> to you guys See. later. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. It will partly. Yeah. And then, I'll, but then I'll be, I'll be quick about it because I know never, not everyone wants to hear it. <laughs> Uh, oh, she left already. Look at that. She didn't even say goodbye. There there she is. See that? I get a Skype logo. Anyway, um, yeah, really quickly, I just want to bring this up and then we'll close the show because I know it's been long. But someone asked me the other day about this. And I think I made, I probably made some comment about Lincoln not being the best president in the world. And I know a lot of, a lot of us in school have learned to just idolize President Lincoln because of the Civil War and freeing slaves, which obviously was a noble good thing. Slavery uh, was horrible, and so freeing slaves was good. No one's taken that away from him. But uh, I, in general, I, I I hate when we idolize politicians and presidents because you know very few of them were actually that great. And so I just want to look. I just looked up some facts about Lincoln so that I could answer why I don't think he's the aw- most awesome person ever. <laughs> Dr. Case, it's a good thing you clarified that. Right? Right? Oh, Carter doesn't like Lincoln. He must like slavery. Yeah, right. I have to clear I have to clarify everything now. It's so ridiculous. Um and and I do think Kent mentions Harvard Hogg. I do think we should make if you guys think we should make shirts that say okay Harvard that have like some kind of picture of him. I don't know if we can get away with that, but I kind of totally want to do that. Anyway, uh a couple things about him. First of all, Lincoln was uh not very pro free press to the in by the term by standards that we would we would use like he there was a we'll say fake news printed about him and uh he he basically had <laughs> the paper shut down and uh and people arrested he had a guy deported for speaking against him basically uh he was a northerner who was speaking against the civil war now i don't probably didn't agree with the northerner he sounds like a, a jerk and an agitator but he he wasn't actually a spy for the confederacy or anything his name was valid dingham and he was a lincoln critic and so he was just a guy who was a lincoln critic and lincoln had him deported for expressing the views that he didn't like and he uh by claiming that he was a spy so, you know, that's not great. Let's see. He authorized the indefinite imprisonment of citizens across the Union by suspending habeas corpus at one point. He, uh, he was more of a pragmatist. So a lot of people talk about him being, like, uh, principally against, like, against slavery on principle. He, you know, he did support the Fugitive Slave Act, <laughs> So that was a pretty disgusting, horrible law. At one point, there's an argument that he changed his mind on this, but at one point in his career, he was he was arguing that 
um, Africans should be sent back to Africa. Um, there were actually two versions of the 13th Amendment, um, the one that w eventually happened, but the one he originally proposed and the, or that he originally supported, the original one, and that was going to make it illegal for Congress to interfere with slavery in the South. So he was the guy was much more of a pragmatist than a, an abolitionist from a principled standpoint. Um, and let's see. Oh, he... <laughs> okay, now we get into some of the stuff that Kerry's eyes would glaze over for. <clears throat> As a limited government slash... I'm actually an anarchist, but I'm not going to make arguments for anarchy right now. <clears throat> Keith the Hat Guy says Lincoln put about 3,000 journalists in jail for writing against the war. Yeah, I guess I wasn't clear about the scope of that. So he actually is responsible for... <clears throat> He's credited with kind of introducing the income tax. So what he his tax was kind of overturned eventually by the Supreme Court, but he did a few things. So to raise money for the war, he um, he introduced an income tax and created the Internal Revenue Bureau, which is kind of the president predecessor to the IRS. So by the way, just note right, it was before 1861 we had no income tax. Think about that. So uh, the 16th Amendment passed in 1913, which actually, after, his, after Lincoln's was turned down, the, the, third, the 16th Amendment, which introduces the income tax, came around in 1913. But more importantly, and this is kind of the eyes glaze over stuff, and I'm sorry, but it's important. Uh, he, the National Bank and Currency Acts of 1863 and 1864 were Lincoln's doing. And those acts... Um, gave the federal government a lot of power over the monetary supply. It created a system of national banks rather than just state banks. It created a uniform national currency. And um, those two things have had profound effects on uh, not only our economy, but how our democracy functions, not, not a democracy, how the republic functions. And you wouldn't have the Federal Reserve if it wasn't for that. Um, you wouldn't have all this deficit spending. You wouldn't have uh, fiat currency detached from the gold standard. A lot of fundamental problems. We've got, I think, 20-some-odd trillion dollars in direct debt plus another 100 trillion or something like that in unfunded liabilities. That stuff could not happen without the, the expansion of the federal government into the monetary system in a way that... Uh, was pretty pervasive, and that was introduced by, in a pretty pernicious way, and that was introduced by Lincoln. So my big problem with Lincoln is that he's praised too much for being a uh, principled abolitionist, and in fact, he was just a pragmatist, and he did some bad things, and did he do some good things? Sure, he did some good things. But, you know, it, he he enjoys the status of a guy who is leading the country during a war, which is now interpreted as a very ideological war over slavery, which is debatable how, how much it was about slavery. It doesn't matter. Uh, that's how he's interpreted, and he's put forth as this, you know, almost flawless uh, idol. And, and compare, uh, other presidents are compared to Lincoln, right? Wasn't there a movie about him being a vampire slayer? I mean, he's just glorified in a way that is really not healthy. So that's my only problem with Lincoln. I just wanted to share that with people. I'm not a Lincoln expert, but those are just some high-level facts about Lincoln. Uh, Keith says Lincoln never freed the slaves in the North. Yeah, I did remember that. He had some control, but he never bothered uh, freeing the slaves in the North. He did it in the South, mostly because he was <laughs> wanted to screw over the Southern governments. So, all right. 
That's it. Nixon, uh, Daniel Keene says, wasn't it Nixon who took us off the gold standard? Eventually, Nixon detached us from the gold standard, but we had been sliding for, I, I want to say, 60 years or something. When was Bretton Woods? I, I don't remember. We had been sliding for a long, long, long time. So it was, I don't remember when it first happened, but someone in chat can maybe remind me. The the We were originally decoupled from a one-to-one gold standard I think in the early, early 20th century. And we just started to move that decoupling. So instead of a dollar's worth of gold for a dollar, it was like, well, how about we keep, you know, 80 cents worth of gold for a dollar and then 50 cents and then 20 cents. And it was Lincoln who, or not Lincoln, it was Nixon who was finally like, screw it, let's just be detached from gold altogether. So yeah, Nixon was the final (laughs) coup d'etat, so to speak, but it, it happened beforehand. So all right, uh, Nicole says I need to record Carrie's laughs. When she's gone, I can play her as a laugh track. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> we should. We need a Carrie laugh track. I know. It's hard to be funny by yourself when you're not a comedian and you're an old curmudgeon like me, but that's okay. Uh, I think that's it. I don't see anything else in chat we need to chat about. So I will, I will let it go. Thank you all for watching. Have a great weekend. And... Um, yeah, we'll see you on Monday for another live Kofefi. If you've got ideas, you got stuff that you really want us to talk about, you can tell us on Facebook. Um, Jack checks our Facebook messages a lot, and he takes ideas there and feeds them to us. You can send them to us at speak at unsafespace.com. You can just tell us in chat. Uh, we can do less research if you're telling us real time in chat, but still, we can talk about them. And uh, don't forget to go support the show. If you can't afford to support us financially, which is fine, like, share, subscribe, just share the content around and help us grow our audience. That would be great. If you can support us financially, please go to unsafespace.com or Subscribestar and uh, and you can support us with fiat, which is worthless pieces of paper, or cryptocurrency. We don't take gold, but if you want to ship us gold, let me know and I'll give you an address. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one.